Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Way with Anoa. I'm your host, Anoa Changa. It is November 8th, 2017. November 8th, November 8th, November 8th. Is that one of those days that like will live on in infamy or whatever? Time has definitely taken a toll on us since the last time we met on a November 8th to have some conversations, right? Um, definitely want to hear from you guys tonight. I have not had Skype working properly to even do call in for quite some time. Uh, 678-810-0089 is the number if you want to call in and hit me up and share a few tidbits, thoughts, ideas. I mean, there were some elections last night. We are now a year post the election. Um, and we have only a year, right, to, you know, midterms. There's a lot of ground that needs to be covered. There were some, you know, pretty amazing and inspiring wins. There were some wins that were like, eh, you knew that was going to happen. So why are you acting like you really did something? And then there were there's, there were some losses. There were some losses that were not surprising. There were some that kind of like, like, damn, really want that one to happen. Um, how do we improve? And a good conversation I was having with a couple people earlier today was, you know, it, it smarts, right? It, it hurts when we lose, right? When we when we don't get what we feel is necessary, is deserved, it's like, oh my God, we keep trying. Think about it, right? Like electorally in this space where we all kind of convene, commune, and organize, it's been two years, right? There are a lot of other people and various folks in this space who have been doing it a lot longer, but in this 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 specific movement moment, this wave, been two years. That's a lot of time, but then in some area, in some ways it's not, right? And there's been a lot of momentum. There is a lot of energy. Um, but something I think that we really need to start doing is, is reflection. And um, I know there are folks who don't like the term autopsy, but we really do need to look and see what worked. Do a SWOT analysis, right? What worked? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Uh, where can we improve? How do we work smarter? We don't have the big money. We're not going to have the fancy luxury buses. We're not going to be able to pay people to show up at the polls for us. We're not, we're not. And even if we could do those things, you know, those are under her underhanded little dirty tricks that people play. Um, but there's all this stuff that's happening. How do we still get out there, fight and win? And advance our goals to the next level. It's always going. It's always been a long game. Um, if you're someone who does not really buy into, or you're kind of over electoral politics and strategy, cool. We still need to figure out how to work together and support each other. Because if you're out there community building and stuff like that, and you know, we then we have folks who are trying to run campaigns, want to help actually have policies, decision making that benefits the organizing work you're doing. That's a relationship that folks need to build and start working on long before you're knocking on doors or expect people to turn out to a rally to support you, right? And it's the type of stuff we've been saying over and over again. This is the type of stuff, you know, when you knock on doors, when you talk to people and engage people, like earlier today, I shared, and I will admit, uh, I was so excited when I was going through the results so that I needed something good from the Atlanta results last night. I actually didn't pay attention to the percentages. So we actually have a runoff in my city council race um, here. Uh, I, I, I read it wrong. I was like, oh, yes, my guy won. Then I went back, like someone was talking about runoffs for city council. And I was like, wait a minute, let me go back and double check. And then I saw like he was just a few percentage points 
lower than the 50%. And I was like, oh, I didn't even really pay attention to the fact that there was even a third person in the race. Because here's the thing, right? Like when I was first looking to figure out who was even running in city council, because this is something else that grassroots, like if we have any coders, you know, if someone has a free website, they want to donate for something, Google site, whatever you, you do, you can put up a WordPress, right? Like there are certain things that I was just thinking when I was looking at my own ballot, and I don't know, I'd love to hear from you guys what you guys thought for those who were voting recently, what you might have thought, some things that you might have come across. Like two things that came across to me that I thought would be really good things that we could try to see, at least here in the metro area, um, could be implemented to help voters like the next go around. One thing would be like a rating system. If And it might already exist. I haven't had time to research this. But a rating system for judges. Because one of the things that was interesting when I actually looked at the sample ballot. Now, I don't always look at a sample ballot. But something told me to look at the ballot to make sure I actually was aware of everything that was on the ballot. Because, of course, we hear the hype about the mayoral election here in Atlanta. But, you know, I knew, you know, uh, what, what was going on with city council president race. But there were other races. And because sometimes when people put out signs. They're not really paying attention to where the boundaries for, you know, districts are sometimes. So you might see a sign that might be a little bit farther. Like if you're literally, if you live literally on the boundary of two different districts, you might see a sign someplace that is, you're thinking that's your neighborhood, but you might be right on the boundary. So there was a, like a Senate race basically, which was literally two blocks over from us. And I kept thinking, I was like, is this going to be in our ballot? Like I had, I, I, I was not prepared to be voting for state senators or anything. It wasn't on our, on my actual ballot. Um, but that's a whole nother story. But one thing I thought about when I looked at this ballot, I saw that there were, um, judges listed and it was asking about, should they be retained or not? Yes or no. And I'm like, I literally have no clue. I don't know anything about these judges. I've never really done, you know, I had to go to Miss Court once for a, a ticket and it got sent to like pretrial divergent services, which is still a big fine. But anyway, I digress. But, but, but like people literally don't know, and I'm a lawyer, right? So if I'm struggling with that, with th that point in the ballot, imagine what the average person who's just getting off of work or they're trying to hurry up and do it before work is even thinking when they look at the ballot. That was one thing. The other thing I thought about and look at it is even like just explaining in terms of like runoffs and things like that. And I'm sure there are groups that do this type of stuff, but like I thought about, you know, how do we, because we talk about effectuating change in the criminal justice system, things of that nature. We talk about magistrate judges, we even talk about municipal level judges. These are really the people that are seeing so many folks coming through the system. We're talking about, you know, uh, uh, bail issues. If we don't have good people in these roles and we don't understand what it takes to have people running in these races, we're focusing so much on getting people to, you know, a brand new Congress or we're looking at people who run in state house races, which is absolutely necessary. We actually do need to start trying to figure out who we can have to run for these or I, you know, whether they're appointed positions, however, we need to build up that slate um, for, for, oh, I have a caller. Yay. Hello, caller. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Mundell Robinson, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay, so this is like, so you see the smile <laughs> on my face, right? So I just got a call from Mondale Robinson. I'm not even, I, I found out what your first name was today, sir. Donna was dressing the chicken. But, <laughs> but Mondale... But Mondale is, 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 is an amazing like electoral organizer, a part of the DFA staff. Y'all already know. I don't want to hear none of you griping about Democrats and whatever, whatever. I rocks with at least the POC caucus from DFA all day. Um, and Mondale is one of the brightest and most phenomenal people I know. 
And there were some awesome wins last night in Virginia. But I know you got a lot in your mind. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it over to you for a second. Peace. How are you? How um I am glad to be on this call. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff going on. Mainly right now what's bubbling in my heart and my soul mm-hmm. is the fact that number forty five, the orange president, is actually in one of the most oppressive countries on this planet, China, enjoying all of the luxuries that uh, they're giving him, and at the same time, his his administration is releasing new regulations and restrictions on people from going to Cuba, which are, which is doing nothing but hurting poor uh, mm. an, an economy an economy that's already struggling, but was making its way back because of tourism and, and a lot of them uh, private businesses and also uh, you know private homeowners who were renting out their houses on Airbnb to American citizens right, have now right, right. been hindered again because of a, a dizzy president named Trump. So what is, so can you just back up for a second? Cause I did see your post about it, but I didn't get a chance to, to read more about it. What, what is the new restriction? Like what is happening now? So, uh, you know, uh, the president, president Obama actually, uh, made it easier so you can go to Cuba. Right. So he basically said, you, you no longer needed one of these education companies to take you on one of these $6,000 tours to go to Cuba, a trip that you could do for yourself, which would cost you probably $500, and most of that was airline tickets. Right, JetBlue even had just started, you know, having tickets to go to Cuba. Exactly. So what, and, and what happened is, so they added, uh, new, they added new restrictions of companies that you cannot shop at, hotels you can't stay at. Uh, in Cuba, these, these are hotels and companies that they said have ties to the Cuban government. Um, so they said that was one way of restricting um, money to Cuba, but then they, they took it a step further, and they're now saying that you can no longer uh, just go to Cuba and say that you're on a people to, a person-to-person's uh, tour. And it's almost going back to the olden days where you have to check your itinerary. You have to have an, a very detailed itinerary of what you're doing with your time. Mm-hmm. They said anybody who has a trip uh, before tomorrow uh, will not be scrutinized, but let's be serious. Who Who has a trip already planned to Cuba right now. A few right. people, yeah, but so many more Americans, especially Afro-Americans, need to, African-Americans need to get to Cuba so they can see that, uh, one, um, the problems of colorism and also um, slavery extends beyond, uh, you know, the American borders. And then also our commonalities with the people there are so strong. I tell people all the time, Fidel created a place um, outside of Africa, where it's the safest place to be black in this world. I mean, wow. And you've spent some, you've had this opportunity to spend some time in Cuba. I, I unfortunately haven't been yet, but you've actually had some time to, to travel and spend time in Cuba and, and see this and experience it for yourself. Exactly. And, and I mean, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, the, uh, I'm not trying to pretend that Cuba's uh, problemless, but that's, that's not the case. What I am saying though is, uh, Fidel, Fidel's Cuba is not the Cuba that Marco Rubio wants you to believe. And, uh, and people forget that. Uh, the reason that some of those folk, most of those people left is because they were, they were siding with American business interests. Cuba's problem with America has never been uh, uh, the communist regime because, I mean, we deal with Russia, like I said, and China. America's problem with Cuba is uh, Cuba's rejection of American business interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when you go against American business interests, I mean you 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 will be 
the restricted. State Department is reportedly um, preparing to expel two thirds. Sorry, I was just trying to pull up an article and it had a video embedded in it. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, go ahead. You you know, you're absolutely right. When we're talking about, um, I mean, you had a really good point though when you talked about business and travel to China, as right. compared to the relationship yeah. that we have with Cuba. Right. I mean, we we also have to know that. Cuba is not a small island. It's about the size of Florida, maybe a little bigger, but um, it's not the size of China. China's economy is definitely why America would ne- America would never cut off ties with China. Plus, China's American business, a biggest customer, probably next to uh, Mexico and, and Canada. So I, I, I um, and um, you know, I, I, I just I feel like you know the tragedy is that people like I have I have friends in Cuba that. You know, make their money off tour, uh, off of tourism. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I'm talking about people with people with PhDs um, and and law degrees. They can't feed their family that way, but they can feed their family by renting out a room to American tourists or by you know driving a taxi um, and taking people around to see that beautiful island. And now mm-hmm. that's that like that's again, once again in jeopardy because of a policy that is archaic as. Um, America's immigration policy itself. I, I, I also want to, people need to realize when we put the embargo on Cuba, what it was for. It was because Cuba sided with Russia, but we still deal with Russia. You understand what I'm saying? It's like we okay with Russia, but not Cuba. And our problem with Cuba was based in Cuba's relationship with Russia mm-hmm. or the USSR. So, I mean, like, I mean, we start looking at this and then you start, you start filing color, colorism and racism at all at the core of it. You know what I mean? It's the same thing how, um, uh, you can have 200 young ladies go missing in Africa and people are quiet about it. But uh, four people in France or, or one little white kid in Montana go missing. And it's national news. It's breaking news. <clears throat> so, I mean, America's uh, Cuba's Cuba also suffers from America's high tolerance for people of color's pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that that's so much to think about. And I'm so happy you actually raised that and brought that up um like i said like that that is to be denied access to even travel to build to to try and grow um opportunity and engagement in that way is is really problematic and i mean we'll only see we've already seen the way in which even american uh let's just be real holdings property is treated um so it, it you know it's no it's no uh, a surprise that the trump administration would uh inflict such action um upon the uh, the current Cuban um, people. And I'm sure, like you said, Marco Rubio is probably, you know, dancing and singing someplace because he was opposed to uh, Barack Obama's expansion in the first place uh, before he left office last, last uh, right. year. Right. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, he actually said that the restriction didn't go further far enough. So, I mean, I, I think people mm-hmm. are living in a, we're living in a, we're living in a, <clears throat> a, a silly world. Well, we know that anyway, because he, he got elected president, but, um, it's it's very dangerous when Americans allow um, without any common sense or any any debate situations like this to be put in front of folk as the truth, and um, and there are no and there are no ramifications for these actions. It's tragic. I mean, like uh, not just normalizing relationship with Cuba because it's because they're our neighbor, but also because it's, it's I mean, like their humanity there's humanitarian crisis uh, at play. That we can that we can that we can affect and also Cuba can assist with, right? So a great example is when Cuba, when uh when New Orleans was suffering, uh, mm-hmm. Cuba starts Cuba wanted to send 
doctors to America, and we wouldn't even allow that. People, people don't even know right. that Cuba has some of the greatest doctors in the world. And uh, I mean, think about that. We had American doctors that wouldn't, weren't willing to go to New Orleans, but Fidel was willing to send as many doctors as possible. Cuba sends more doctors um, with Doctors Without Border per capita than any other country on this planet. So, I mean, and we're not talking about uh, a nation that is not, uh, mm-hmm. like, not up on medical technology. Cuba, Cuba has, I mean, cured a couple of different cancers. Cuba has right. uh, prevented mothers with AIDS from passing it to their babies during birth. So, I mean, you know, we, we um, I feel like it's, it's, it's a tragedy, especially uh, for black people. I just feel like black people would benefit if we knew more about Cuba and if we were advocating for Cuba and Haiti. Um, because they suffer because of uh, the colorism situation. I know I said that already three times. No, no, no but, but, but I mean, to, that's a strong point to, to continue to make. And I think, especially when we have these conversations about what's going on right now with the Trump administration and the, the attitudes toward immigration, the way in which at least some folks will even dog whistle to appease to those who have mm. issues and animosity in terms mm. of immigration, we, we, we often have this tension between black folks and, and immigrant communities as if mm. there aren't also black people in, in from immigrant communities who, you know, whether we talk about folks from the Sudan, um, Somali people, uh, Haitians, Cubans, right? Um, like I, I, in the Dominican Republic, I mean, there, there is a real serious conversation and we can, we can justify however, like, oh, they're not the biggest percentage and blah, blah, blah. But still, when we look at the, 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 the nation, well, we look at the national situation, we look at the, the continuous imperialistic relationships with countries and we're talking about domestically we're trying to fight for certain advancements and opportunities and breaking down certain barriers, we can't then tacitly or directly give support to that same ish with, with, with some of the anti-immigrant commentary. So I really do appreciate you raising the issue of Cuba and why, you know, as black people, we should, you know, invest in and develop relationships with you know, our brothers and sisters in the Caribbean, um, particularly when we see what's happening right now with disaster relief and other things going on. Like domestically, we, 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 we're starting to understand that we have to take matters into our own hands. But in terms of those international relationships, we need to go back to the way Malcolm was, right? Like Malcolm went to Africa and was prepared to Absolutely. work with African nations and take, you know, cases to the UN. We need to have that. I mean, when people people have their their little jokes and comments about Pan Africanism, but the, the concept of having that you know relationship across the diaspora is something that I really think that we need to be building more into our lexicon as we talk about being black and progressive or black and left. So I really do appreciate you raising that issue today. Oh yeah, indeed, and and I think you I, and I think if we try to uh, revive or make make a Pan Africanism or or the idea of a black and left real without including that 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 spectrum, I think we're we're being ahistorical anyway because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we know it. We know it was Fidel. It's fit, when when uh, Nelson Mandela came out of prison, the first person he wanted to see and talk to was Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, that was that was the nature of his. That was the nature of his. Uh, his. That's where he learned how to be revolutionary. Not only that, we know Fidel supported uh, Black Power movement in 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 the sixties. He allowed uh, Robert Williams from North Carolina, who refused to let the Klan burn burn and shoot at his house without him burning and shooting at their house. He led him to have a radio show from Cuban on Cuban airways that, that was broadcasted in America. He also had, you know, he protects 20 plus Panthers down in, uh, in Cuba right now. So, I mean, you know, and, and then we, I mean, we had those relations, Algiers, we had a, the black powers had his own, the, the black power interest had his own embassy in Algiers. 
and and then you know Ho Chi Minh and China supported us. So I mean, if when we when we forget that, when we allow American or American popular, uh, I was I should say American politics to impede our mind and believe that America is this great nation that has our best interests at hand, mm-hmm. then we forget who and who and what we should be doing with our time. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Mondell, thank you so much for for calling in and dropping some wisdom and, and sharing some love this evening. I really appreciate you. We actually need to have a, a conversation and 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 a, a a real long a hour long. We need to just schedule out a chat. Um, I know you're mighty busy to talk about some of the lessons learned from you know not just specifically the outcome of the Virginia race. But um, some of the machinations and mechanisms that go into running, you know, electoral campaigns and, you know, GOTV and things of that nature. I mean, we can win without the huge ad buys, as we've seen in some instances. We can win without, you know, kissing Dem Party. Patukas, as DFA did um, this past week with so many really great races, won with support of some awesome candidates. I mean, but you guys took a really ballsy uh approach there in Virginia <laughs> pertaining to the governor. And I just say kudos. Um, but I think I'd yeah. love to sit down with you uh, uh, just to talk more about what we when we're talking about, you know, building out, you know, these different spaces, building out, um, building out like power bases, like what that looks like, what we ought to be doing and, 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 and how we can maneuver in a way that maintains accountability in our process, but also provides space and voice for, 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 you know, I mean, black and left power being being built. Absolutely. And I, and I definitely want to have that conversation. And I hope we're going to talk about how the Democratic Party has already started taking claims to their plans working uh, in Virginia. And, I, and, and, and we know that they weren't talking to sporadic black voters. And we know that black voters voted overwhelmingly, uh, black and brown voters overwhelmingly for Democrats when white people once again sold them out. And they spent mm-hmm. all that money chasing the white vote. So, yeah, let's talk about that. And let's be honest and let's see how they can make sense of they turn out the black and brown voters and they can claim victory, even though uh, the voters they were targeting were white voters on Fox News, spending thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on Fox News. And we know uh, who and who and who was not talking to black and brown sporadic voters. So that, we need to have that conversation and we need to make sure that we're holding Democrats accountable that they don't get to claim this victory. This is not Tom Perez's victory. This is not uh, a continuation of uh, Robert Mook and his Klan uh, work. Um, this, is, this is our work and we should definitely claim that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well definitely well thank you I appreciate you brother for calling in All right, you bet peace All right, peace yay I actually have another caller that's supposed to be calling in to talk about a different piece but I'm really excited that Mondale actually took a break from busy busy work to to, to drop in um, with with, with some of his just just observations of what the the, the Cuba situation Um, one thing that I thought that he said was really interesting and this doesn't just apply to black and brown voters I mean I think and from talking, you know, guys, I'll talk a lot at times about my, my, my West Virginia folks. I think a lot of the ways we um, actually, here goes my next caller. Hello, Nick. Hey, this is Nick. Hey, Nick. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Awesome. So happy to have you join us. So, you guys, I'll pause what I was going to say about sporadic voters. Um, but I will just say that we do really need to drop the conventional political wisdom and how do you run and win races. I mean, the idea of knocking on every door, we definitely really need to make sure that we're cultivating relationships with those people who may have come out because something exciting happened. And then it's like, okay, nothing else is going on. What, why should I bother? Like, those are people who may be more likely to come out and bring a couple other folks with them if we actually go out and reach and touch them. 
But I have Nick on the line. Nick is, I don't, if you don't know Nick, definitely go check Nick out. Um, Nick, what's your Twitter handle so folks can follow you? Uh, Prof Plum MD. By the way, I'm not a professor or an MD, so if that deceived you, I apologize. <laughs> what is it, Professor Plum with the. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love Clue. Clue is one of my favorite games, and it's a good movie. Oh, exactly. But, but Nick just wrote a piece. And Nick, is this your first piece in Progressive Army? My first piece. I'm proud to have it out. Nick wrote a piece, a pretty awesome piece. I got to skim it. I will admit, did not get to read it. But I know Nick. I know his heart, and I know what he can do. So definitely go check it out. Nick, what is the title of your piece? Uh, it's Trans People, Ableism, and the Need to Upgrade Our Progressive Lexicon. I love it. Um, so I was cooking dinner. I got to skim the piece, but can you give us a little background um, about, you know, what your piece is about, but it, why and why you felt that it was necessary uh, for this piece to, to, to be written? Sure, sure. So essentially, um, in the piece, I describe uh, two instances that happen within even our, our more progressive circles, um, one of which being that uh, we exclude trans people of whatever gender they happen to identify as um, from the discussion of birth control, and especially in the uh, well-deserved um, flurry of upset over Republicans trying to take away uh, birth control access to everyone, but specifically uh, in the context, cis women, uh, and cis specifically, just for those who don't know, it would be cisgenders, those who are not, um, do, those who do not differ from the gender that they were assigned at birth. Um, in this conversation, we leave out that um, trans people of any gender um, are also uh, very disproportionately affected by uh, the removal of birth control. And then not only that they are disproportionately affected, but that the discourse surrounding them is affects the way that they're able to get into the conversation by way of saying that, you know, this is not a, uh, if you're not a cis woman, then you need to sit down while cis women talk about their birth control. And realizing that uh, people, uh, say trans men who uh, in the article, I uh, mentioned a story where, or a, a, a type of story where people will go, oh my God, this man, not mentioning that the person is a trans man or, or maybe just a man mm -hmm. that has been uh, born with a uterus, uh, does, not, uh, does not get viewed in a human way. It actually gets viewed in a dehumanizing way, saying okay. that, oh my God, I cannot believe that this man got pregnant and what is the world coming to? You know, it can go like that. The second part of the article discusses uh, ableism, and specifically in uh, the context of the article, it's about um, the language that we use to talk about just about everything, but specifically in regards to mostly Trump. It can also be about Republicans and the actions that they take, but the actions of Trump are usually described with such words as crazy or lunacy or dumb or stupid or any a number of words okay. like that, okay. and essentially recognizing that those words uh, damage our um, conversations for allies that may be disabled or have uh, something mental going on, whatever that may be, regardless of the systems above that, that we also need to uh, attack and dismantle, we just do ourselves a disservice by using ableist mm -hmm. language in our day-to-day. Definitely. Okay. So this is really good. Cause I know like you and I actually had a conversation recently about some terminology I even use, like not even thinking, right. Cause it, cause that's the thing too, right. If we're not intentional um, at times when we have even certain conversations, like real flippant, like I know there was an exchange recently uh, with 
call a spurgeon about even her using the framing of man up. There are things that we just talk about that because it's not something that we directly deal with usually in our day-to-day life. We're not even, you know, having it factor into these spaces and conversations. And so what I think is important about a piece like yours is that it does challenge us. Like if we're going to be, you know, progressive with these platforms, we're right on the issue. We're talking about being inclusive and making sure that people, you know, have space and voice there are these things and instances that we need to start considering and and, and, and dealing with. Um, and and so I really appreciate, you know, your your framing and conversation because it is something to discuss because honestly, it's as, you know, a woman that does, you know, uh, a cisgender woman that does have to be concerned about birth control and pregnancy and some at some point in time menopause, we don't necessarily, since that's our natural default and frame of reference, we don't, we don't think about, you know what I'm saying? Like we we just don't we just don't think about it. And sure. I, and, and and the only thing I can think of, and I know there's a lot of hoopla, and some folks might not agree with me, and this is maybe not the best analogy, but like what made me really kind of step back over the past year in this in this area with this with this kind of type of conversation, particularly when we're talking about like you know transgender people, was an experience I had. But it made me think about like I was all defensive and no, I'm this. I was like, oh. Is this what white people feel like when we start getting on them about being racist or anti-white? Mm-hmm, like you have to step back and remove yourself from the situation and listen to what is being said. You might not agree, but you do need to kind of step back and listen. So I am like, you know, thankful that you wrote a piece to 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 put a different um, set of uh, concerns right on, on the table, so to speak. So. And thinking about, you know, how we change our lexicon, right? Like as progressives, you know, how, how do you, how do you see that happening? Like, how have you, like in your own work, um, uh, where you are just, just seen that in practice or have, you know, instances that, what does that look like besides, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously centering people in conversations? Sure, sure. Well, I think uh, in my journey, as it very much has been in uh, just learning to be a more progressive and generally understanding of, of intersection intersectionality as a person, uh, I think that one of the things that I've had to really, and for me as someone with ADHD, it is all too common for me to very be, uh, or to be very reflexively defensive and uh, come across as no, no, how, how, how could you think that that, that that was something I was saying or, or how could you or bring that uh, upon me? And making sure that as people who are trying to, if, if not only just be more um, progressive, trying to actively bring more people into the fold of what we consider our, our progressive uh, circles, is just being open to the idea, like you said, of being able to take a step back and saying, oh, wait, this is not something that that I have experience with and I wouldn't have known. And thusly, if I care about these groups who are talking about their experiences and what they consider to be um, digs or whatever, however you would uh, classify it at them, that I need to take that step back. I think it's really interesting specifically because, and I, I will just put out there for the record that I do use they, them, their pronouns. So just so that's out there on the record, um, that it has been as a, a trans white person, that I have had to navigate different circles when, if, with regards to having um, ingrained like anti-black sentiments of various colors. So I, I don't know, I'm not even going to go into like trying to list them, but realizing when I uh, talk with uh, black people 
that there are things that I thought were just part of the, the normal fold of what we consider, um, mm-hmm. you know, just acceptable dialogue. And then realizing after, um, I mean, quite honestly, talking with and being called out by these people, um, that there are things that I didn't know that I, if I wanted to consider myself more progressive, that I do need to be more open. And especially that journey of, of dialing back my own instinctive reaction to instantly go, that's not what I meant, or that's not who I am. And instead of realizing there are things that are baked into us that we don't know about and going, okay, hold up. This may be something about myself that I had been using that I wasn't even aware of. And it's just really important as a starting step. And I think that the article for me is mostly just a starting step. It's not the, it's not the thesis that I would love to have put out, but it is something that is a start for uh, me and for progressive people to go, okay, how do I at least start to bring more people into the fold? Again, when we talk about using like uh, ableist language, like again, like stupid, dumb or crazy or something like that, um, that is not uh, going to bring down the system that truly harm uh, disabled people. And it is important to be aware of that, that just uh, being aware of your language is not enough to bring these systems down. But again, if we're going to want to include people of a disabled or trans uh, fold into our progressive circle and want to be able to show up for them, then we need to do at least just the entry point of our um, praxis, as it were, and just be able to know that there is language that, that these communities have said, this is not okay with us. Right, right, definitely, definitely. So um, just, just it is, it's so hard because like there are things that are built into our language and lexicon that we just will will say flippantly you know not not meaning to undermine or or do anything to like like one thing that i've noticed and this is really like i've i've seen it go negative one thing that i've noticed that people will say a lot like because there there are different people who maybe have certain eccentricities who do commentary or they're journalists and folks will be like oh don't pay them no mind they're just on the spectrum and you know, like I've had a couple different conversations before. And one, one time, like we were outside a conversation with someone and because we've, we've privately talked about it. So I understood what they meant when they, when they said it, they were being snarky and sarcastic, but someone else saw it and was like, Oh my God, you know, that that's not an excuse. And like these types of conversations, unfortunately, sometimes these things are challenging and they're uncomfortable, but I really do think it's necessary to figure out how do we work through things? Because particularly when you're a kid of the, the, you know, probably like our generation, well, my generation, possibly your generation, since we're closer in age, but not that close, I think. But like, you know, <laughs> when you're coming out of the 70s and 80s, particularly, like when you think about any 80s movies, stupid. Uh, 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 what are you stupid? What are you, what are you ignorant? What are you dumb? Like, like, like it's, I mean, I actually, I sounded like Andrew Dice Clay there for a minute, but like, <laughs> there are things that weren't necessarily, you know, um, necessarily like literal it, it just was a, a, a way so we do have to work on the vocabulary and the way in which we engage and stuff like that you know like no lie like my dad would call us like you know knucklehead and stuff joking right because that's what mm-hmm. that's what his dad did joking I right. never took it seriously that my dad didn't love me or was in a bad way because we would all laugh about it or whatever I won't say what else my dad you know, has said, you know, all, all I'll say is I did not know porch monkey was a derogatory term until I went to college. So <laughs> I thought porch monkey was the funniest thing I had ever heard. And I called my dad up. I said, daddy, did you know porch monkey was a derogatory? Because my roommates were like, did you just say porch monkey to your dad on the phone? <laughs> had no clue. 
apparently my dad said, I think it was like 1984, uh, 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 WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, it was either Mr. Per Mr. Wonderful or Roddy Roddy Piper called Mr. T a porch monkey on television. And my dad and his boys would get together. I think it was like maybe Thursday nights or something. I don't remember. But I was on like three. But they would get together and they would always watch wrestling and stuff, right? And like they mm -hmm. all, this is well, the story my dad tells. And my dad is Mr. Like, you know, politically correct. He's awesome. My dad doesn't curse, like any of this stuff. But he has his few little vices. And the word porch monkey was one of them growing up. And I literally, my brother and I, I remember I called my brother. I said, did you know? My, my brother was like, what are you talking about? Daddy made that up. Because it, sound, it sounds so stupid. Like, I had never heard it before. And my roommates were, like, appalled. And I was like, what? I was like, you know what? I said, my dad made it up. They were like, no, he didn't. And I called my dad up. And he was like, yeah, but we're from New York. And no one says that. Like, it's just a dumb thing. But I think that that's an extreme example. You know, I know everyone thinks my dad is really great. My dad is still a really great person. <laughs> That's just one of his little eccentricities from the 80s. I mean, it was the 80s, right? People people did crazy things. But <laughs> I think, though, that there are things that we have tolerated because that's just the way it's been or that's just the way our parents talk to us or that's the way people in our community said things and that we don't take the time to walk back and, 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 and look at the stage. We're very proud of our progressive values and our platforms and the things we aspire to, but what are we actually doing in our interpersonal communications and relationships? That that really actually matters too. So I do appreciate you because what did I say? Oh, I said attention whore. That's what it was that you, mm -hmm, you were like. Mm -hmm. You're like a Noah and we had a conversation about it and I was like, damn, like why? I said, I said, oh, I didn't mean it like that though. I, I mean, clearly the context and you were like, no, but still... But I think doing right. it's mindful. And, and I'm if like, I actually could jump on there for a second. Uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I can, you can yeah. just go. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that one of the things to, to mention there that some people, I think, get confused by, and I think that I, I think especially as a white person growing up, trying to be more progressive over time, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that um, that is hard for, I would say, more white progressives, but progressives of all flavors, is that um, people of their specific community are allowed to reclaim uh, slurs for themselves. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, uh, as a younger progressive, when um, you know, you're growing up as a white person and, be, and, going, and having people around you that are saying the N-word and you're trying to you know, figure out whether or not that's, that's an okay because of the way it's kind of melded into the social fold, and, uh, and try to be more progressive, uh, the idea is that, oh, well, you as a white person should not say the N-word. And then that kind of, that line of thinking morphs and goes, well, then why should anyone say the N-word if, uh, if it's that distasteful or if it has, carries that much baggage? And realizing as, uh, as a person of said community that you are within your right to reclaim uh, any slur that you would feel that you don't, does not affect you, that you would like to empower as more of a thing for yourself. And so, especially when we talk about like ableist slurs, um, like, uh, for instance, like crazy or insane or stupid or something like that, that there are people who would prefer to be able to keep those uh, monikers, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, for themselves, because it helps them feel that they have reclaimed something that used to hold power over them. And especially going, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with attention whore, uh, Sex workers, uh, as again, as part of my progressive journey, um, I did not know that that was something that would be considered that that, that was considered an out in the language. I thought, uh, as uh, you know, referencing back to like seventies, eighties, nineties, that uh, hooker used was a derogatory term beyond just what people had considered an, an obvious 
um, mm-hmm. quote unquote, like bad quality to it. Like we consider like bum or, so, or other words like that. Like they exist and it's a technically bad word, but it's not technically bad because there are people. Um, and just again, realizing that these people can reclaim it if they would like to, but just because they reclaim it does not give us uh, a pass to use that language for, you know, for them, unless, unless they say it's okay. But just generally, it's good to know that th- the words or terms that people reclaim for themselves are not yours also to reclaim just because they're recl- they are taking away the power from it for themselves. Yeah. Um, just, just, just definitely, definitely agree. And, 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 and again, like, I just think back, I'd be like, oh my God, I'd be feeling so, I'd be feeling so bad because <laughs> my daughter, well, what it is, is like, you didn't even, like, cause I, cause I was talking about with my sister. I'm going to, I also I have a thread with my daughter and my sister cause they're really more like sisters. But anyway, um, and I, I was like, wow, I didn't even, I'm not, they were both like, yeah. Da, da, da. It's such a different world because they're that they're they're 16 and, and 20 and it's a completely different world, you know, for me in my late 30s. Am I I'm in my late 30s now? Wow. No, I'm in my mid-30s still. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but but still, like, right, you know, it's a 20-year difference between us, me and them. And it's like we have to consciously take the time to make sure, you know, we're keeping up and we're understanding what's going on and what's required. Like again, like like I've shared this several times, the like understanding the importance of pronouns was something that um, I had to learn the hard way and in a very public manner uh, last year. So uh, it's just really interesting. Uh, uh, Christy says, excellent dialogue on being aware of our language and lexicons. We are embracing an era of discourse that dates back prior to the industrial age when conversations were the source of betterment and entertainment. I I agree. So, um, Nick, any final words about your article? And definitely, I really appreciate you calling in. I know you work really hard to do a lot of stuff. So thanks for making the time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think the last thing I would say, and it was kind of the final part of my article, is that, you know, we... And especially you see this kind of in, in Democrats and then specifically like capital D Democrats who are very associated with the name and the brand that goes along with it, is that we can say that we care about certain people or groups or, or minorities or whatever the case may be, but if our language betrays, and, and quite honestly our actions as well, but that's even further down the line, but if our language betrays that we only care about them as using them as a uh, as a pivot point for something else, for instance, like, oh, Democrats should care about black people. That's great. But in what ways do you care about black people? Mm-hmm. And that's an especially important topic in this day and age because we see Democrats or we have been more revealed to the fact that Democrats do not support policy that support black people. Or, for instance, one of the my specific categories that I would like to fight for more often is sex workers, is that mm-hmm. sex workers have not been viewed by either party as a base or a group of people that they should care about in any meaningful way. And if we're going to not only want to do action for these people, we need to show that our language is is inviting to them, or not mm-hmm. just inviting mm-hmm. in like a, oh, we want you to be here, but we actually care about you and care about the language that you would like to be used with because you are a human and we care that, about how you feel about us. Absolutely. But yeah, those are my final thoughts. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, and I, I always but, appreciate it. Oh, definitely. You guys, definitely go check out. I tweeted out. I will tweet it out again. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, I dropped Nick's article in the in the line and uh, in the chat because I actually was able to get the computer active right tonight to have the YouTube window open. You guys, you know, I'll be working hard over here. I'm trying my best. But um, thank you, Nick. I appreciate you so much for for dialing in, and I look forward to following up because we actually have uh, Nick and I actually have Nick, myself, um, David, 
uh, who is a Grossman, who is, you know, the jack of all trades here, progressive RV in the way of Noah. Like we, we have a project that we've proposed that we've been put putting around for probably about a year <laughs> almost. More. Oh yeah. So hopefully, you know, going into, the, into 2018, which is definitely a time I think we'll be able to get off the ground, a series of round tables and conversations and, and really looking at doing some good work together. So hopefully Nick, we're, we're, we're closer and closer to getting it moving. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Definitely got to schedule that hour talk on your show so that way we can just put it out up there. We got a project. We're doing it. Yeah, we do. We just got to get it done. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one, Noah. Bye-bye. All you guys, if you want to call and chat with me, 678-810-0089. I'm here. I just saw a tweet from my girl, Paula Swearingen. Y'all know, um, you know, once a mountain mama, always a mountain mama. I love Paula so much for those who aren't aware. I met Paula, first met Paula back in 2014 during the West Virginia chemical spill. Um, uh, a, a real crooked operation spilled a coal washing uh, agent into the Kanawha River. Well, actually, the Elk River, which is the only water source for uh, the community that we had. And um, yeah, so hello, caller. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Jamie Miller, editor of ProgressiveArmy.com. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Hi, Anoa. I was just um, calling in to say I really, really enjoyed editing Nick's article. It was a really good article. Definitely suggest you read it. Awesome. <laughs> For those who aren't aware, Jamie, Jamie and, and Raven do all the amazing editing. Well, they do all of it, but they do most of it, right? Like you, like you guys are, are you, are you co, are you co-editors or is one of you? Yeah, Ra Raven and I are co-editors now. Right, right, I forget how, uh, okay, that's what I know. I know we talked about it, but I can't remember if it actually happened. But, but, but these ladies behind the scenes, despite, you know, other, other opportunities, other things going on with family and life, real life, make sure articles, whether it's your submissions, if you guys are, you know, Jamie can tell you a little about the submissions, but they make sure the articles, you know, get edited properly and, 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 and submitted and, and, and up on the website. So, Jamie, I know you posted something recently about submissions and uh, criticism. Yeah. Um, it, it, was a, it was a tweet. It's like, uh -huh. uh, basically, we're, we're open to criticism, and if, you know, somebody has something to say, they can, you know, make a submission at, you know, progressivearmy.com mm -hmm. slash submissions. Yeah. So, I mean, if you guys have and thoughts, I, ideas. Yeah hit us up um so how are you doing doing pretty good 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 i'm glad you called in i know calling in hasn't always been your thing so that's awesome mm -hmm. all right but yeah i definitely encourage everybody to you know submit an article love to edit so kind of <laughs> my thing so just just real quick why i have you because last year for those who aren't aware I probably should uh, find the audio and, and reshare it. Uh, Progressive Army, our, our core, some of our core team um, did a roundtable. We actually, it was a very long conversation, so we actually had it split into two episodes. But our we did a, a roundtable um, looking at going, it was like right ahead of the, the election last year. And here we are a year later. I think we're going to try and pull something together again to kind of just look at like where we've been and where we should be going. But Jamie, I was just wondering, just kind of just some of your thoughts, because Jamie, don't let her don't 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 be fooled. Just because she's she's an editor doesn't mean that she has doesn't have great insights as well. So I just wonder if you just had oh. any thoughts about uh, 
you know, the election, the, the elections recently or, or anything like that? I'm just happy to see that we're getting some repre- we're getting some representation. Mm. It's like we've had uh, we've had Democrats, Democratic Socialists. Um, yeah, it's amazing. People are getting involved. People are getting active. It's great. Oh yeah, it is really great. And you know, even though there have been some tough losses, I mean, I definitely think that we have made some really great ground. There's some amazing new faces in the political game, and I really hope that they stick with it, that they grow, and that we continue to to help and support their campaigns for the next go round. So, um, Jamie, I appreciate you for calling in. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, Jamie showed love. That's so awesome. Don't you like it when I know it's being nice and like, oh, but um, I was talking about Paula. It's about to not be nice. So Paula uh, uh, tweeted a couple minutes ago. Can somebody tell me who is held accountable for West WV Democrats at the WFDW for promoting my opponent during a primary at a party hosted event? This was the Roosevelt Kennedy dinner that happened, I believe, last week. And for allowing, or no, or it's happening, and for allowing Senator Schumer to speak on his behalf for his candidacy during a primary at the event. So um, she tweets out a picture uh, with, with you know, they, they put mansion stuff on all the tables and stuff. So Paula actually was not allowed to speak at the event. She was not allowed to table at this event either. So we have all this great excitement about going into 2018 and things of that nature. And, and you know, people are taking uh, credit, as Mondale mentioned uh, earlier when he called, for, you know, this slate of wins and something like that. And you have solid strong people first candidates like Paula Swearingen. I mean, Paula is a coal miner's daughter. She's a mountain mama. And she's someone that I would literally trust with my life. I've yet to be proven wrong about her. Um, real, real, real wonderful person. Um, and she works through the periods of, of discomfort uh, uh, well, because we have those in our lives and not everybody can handle uncomfortable situations and work through, you know, potential conflict and stuff. And I've seen Paula do this firsthand. I've seen Paula lead impromptu, unscripted. I've seen Paula, you know, not have to be handled every since, you know, step of the way by, by, by handlers and campaign managers, even though shout out to her campaign manager, Patrick, Patrick's awesome. Uh, Patrick's my Dude, I, I also know him and some of the other staff that's working with her. But like to claim to value democracy, and this ties into what we've been seeing the past week with the fallout with uh, Donna and Dolores, you know, taking everybody by storm right now. But there's this claim as if, you know, they care about democracy and the best candidate, but really it's not. It's about entrenched power and maintaining control over private fiefdoms and access to wealth. Let's just be clear about what's going on. And the Republicans too. But I'm not going to sit here and get on the Republicans because Republicans are very clear. They're very transparent about what their game is, right? You know, Democrats claim to have the moral authority on, on, on voting, on elections, on opportunity and promise, right? Purpose and the promise. And, and what, what, we, what we, unfortunately, what we see happening is that the Democratic Party and the way it operates and engages is actually, you know, it's a con in some ways. So I'm someone, I'm not going to bash people for running as Democrats. You know, I, everyone has to make that choice and strategically do what is best for them when they're trying to run for what they think is the right thing. I've never been, I'm not bashing folks who are Dementor. I'm definitely not bashing folks who are Dem Exit. Having not been a, a registered Democrat since 2010, I'm not, you know, I, I, I just told this story to, to, to someone the other day. The day I realized, when I moved back to West Virginia, when I realized 
that I was in an open primary state. When I learned what that meant, when I learned the fact that I did not have to be a registered Democrat, I didn't have to be on the list. I didn't have to get the emails. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. I didn't have to be, I didn't want to, like West Virginia Dems are so freaking crooked. They are a microcosm of what is wrong with state parties in so many places and the national party as a whole, right? I mean, the cronyism, the, the, the entrenched thinking and the, 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 the barriers that do not allow the average regular person who does not have some type of elite connection or, or experience to, to, to participate fully is such a problem. And folks that say, well, go green. There are some amazing leaders within the Green Party, and I've met a lot of them, and I'm really, really excited to see the work that is being done locally. But to say go green alone is not the answer, because we have to be willing. If you're not someone who's working and you're fighting, you if, you know, for the people who believe that reforming the Democratic Party is the way to go, they have an uphill battle, and they know. For folks who want to go third party option, for folks who are starting new parties, they have an uphill battle, and they know it. We have to build out the, the, the networks, the foundation, we have to build out the strategic, you know, possibility that, that we need to see if we want to talk about people need to do something other than just go within the dips. Now, I appreciate and understand when people are able to just use that deed to get ballot access, because let's be real. Let's be real. If you're already running as a as an underfunded or unfunded, self-funded grassroots type candidate and you have no support from any type of establishment outlet that's going to put up pony up the money for you to do stuff, you're going to have a hard time with ballot access. I mean, that that's not disputable. So I do understand why, even in you know certain races, people might think that, oh, this is easier. I'll just run as a dip. But the problem becomes when people start thinking that they're going to be treated fairly, that they're going to get support just because they're a Democrat. We just saw that with Lee Carter uh, uh, recently in Virginia. Democrats didn't, didn't even once he won the primary, nothing, nothing. He, he, he won and defeated a long-term entrenched you know, Republican without the party. Because that, that's where we're at. Because that pettiness, the fact that you're not our kind of dim, you know, still runs. So yeah, everyone can celebrate wins and check off those numbers. And I definitely understand because I'm a petty person too. I miss Brandon and the petty party. Brandon Brandon and I need to do a petty party episode soon. Actually, we should probably do the petty party about the Brandon and Dolores's, I mean, Donna's book. Um, but anyway, like when we think about these things, like so I understand not wanting to give them another win. I understand not wanting to give them more room to brag and things like that. Like, I get it. But at the same time, I'm not going to shun somebody who's trying to do good work, you know what I'm saying, and, and the way they know how, right? But what I do say to folks is if you're going to run as a Democrat and you're a, you're a progressive, like a legit progressive, like not just on paper progressive, but like I walk the walk, I talk the talk, yo, I'm down to my core, leftist progressive, you know, whatever your, 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 your lexicon is for it, right? You got to be prepared. They're going to shut you down. We need to build our own alternatives. We need alternatives to van. You know, people will they'll withhold the, the, the voter data access from people. You know, this is the party that claims to be about voting rights, that claims, claims to be against voter suppression. We just saw in New York City in the uh, the fourth the, the 40th district, you know, for the city council race, uh, my boy Brian Cunningham, you know, Fought a really, really great campaign. My, my, my sister friend, Candace Fortune, was involved with his campaign. I think by the, by the end of it was acting campaign manager. 
But his opponent, the incumbent, was outright, there was electioneering. Um, it, it's possibly even a class D felony in New York for the, the, the behavior. But that type of blatant, I'm so big and bad, nobody can stop me, I'm untouchable. That is a type of voter suppression. That that interferes with the integrity of elections and democracy. And when we allow things like this to happen, we saw last year when Bruce Franks ran for uh, uh, the state house in um, in Missouri, you know, coming out of St. Louis, we saw the issues with Democrats and them uh, uh, using absentee ballots that actually were in violation of state law, right? So, so there are ways that Democrats also do things. It may not be the same as when Republicans, you know, have the massive, you know, attack on voter rights, but it still undermines and interferes with our election integrity. Speaking of election integrity, rigging and suppression, Dolores, I'm sorry, I keep calling her Dolores. So I got a chance to read the book. Yes, I read that. Well, I'm like, I'm almost finished with the book. I am reading Donna's book. Um, Donna Brazil wrote her book about hacks. I'm almost done trying my best finish. I mean, I was laughing and cackling all the way through it. But, um, you know, from, from her telling Robbie Mook and them, you know, put, your, put, put, it, put it on the table. I bet your mind is bigger. And she actually said all the words. I'm trying to be good about the curses. I'm on iHeartRadio now. <laughs> I'm trying to be good so I don't get bumped with for explicit explicit content. Um, but I mean the book the book has some moments. I mean, so when I talk about the book and I talk about how Donna delivers, right? And my enjoyment and the entertainment of it all. And there are some great, great threads. Um, Katie King actually uh, has a really great thread on Twitter. It's like different moments, you know, she she puts it in like, you know, you know, us, you know, Donna. Dims, and it'd be like me just eating popcorn. She has all these different gifts for people eating popcorn, like her. Ooh, honey child. I mean, but that really is how, like, this is the the, the tea sipping. This is the, 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 she's spilling all the tea. I mean, like, it, it's it's insane, right? And the backlash, the attacks, the falling apart we're seeing. No, she's the, she's making her own mistakes, though, in this whole, the way this is all fall, coming up, coming apart, in my opinion. But, you know, don't take my word for it, like, at the end of Reading Rainbow. But um, but what's really interesting, though, is the fact that, you know, they can call her a liar, but they can't really point to anything that's factually wrong yet. I haven't seen anything. You know, if you guys do see anything, shoot it to me or whatever. But I'm reading the book. When I'm thinking about the difference when I'm reading this book versus when I tried to read what happened. And I did. I, I honestly tried to read what happened. And, and quite honestly, um, Tracy Corner and I are actually going to try and do a mashup episode about what happened and then also Donna's book um, and just looking at, you know, the juxtaposition and Dems and elections and things of that nature and third party opportunity um, and some of the recent stuff that came out about black women and our decreasing com uh, confidence in the Democratic Party as a whole. But like what was so interesting about this book versus what happened. You know, Donna would talk about something chronologically from the time she took over, you know, basically like basically taking over as interim chair all the way up through. And I could think back and recall reading articles, right, at different periods when things are going on. Of course, it's a different vantage point for us collecting the information that we are. And she's allegedly, you know, giving her purported experience. But what was really interesting, I think back to the same thing with what happened for, I, you know, I got through like, I got through, I think, a half of the book. And then I'm just like, I, I really can't endure this any longer. Um, you know, cool. You want to tell your side of the story, but it's like the inflections and embellishment that would happen. It's like, I can point to, to news articles 
that refute what you're saying right here. Like perfect example of what happened was, you know, Hillary is reflecting as a mom when Chelsea, you know, now a grown woman of her own has come to her own right and is, you know, going out on a trail as her surrogate. Um, and, and I'm a mom. I have an awesome teen daughter who I'm just looking at her and I can only imagine what it will be when she's an adult woman with her own career and her own presence. And she's in her she's coming to her own and we do something together as, you know, adult women together. I saw that look on my own mother's face. Um, Professor Judith Scully, my godmother. I saw her look recently when we were at an MCBL retreat in New York and I was speaking in front of her colleagues and mentors. Right. Uh, when, when she's introducing me around to her peers and her mentors and stuff like that. So, so I, I can understand from that mother experience, I can understand as a sister, as a friend, as a colleague, you know, the emotionalism that Hillary must have felt seeing uh, uh, Chelsea on the trail. However, where that story, that anecdote fell apart for me was when she starts talking about the negative backlash when Chelsea spoke about Bernie's healthcare stance. And it's, it's represented in a way that's rather dishonest. Now, again, I understand as a mom, we want we don't want our babies hurt. No matter how old they are, my moms, as old as I am, will still probably cut one of y'all if y'all come at me the wrong way and they pay attention to social media that day. Literally. I know my mom saw something one day on social media. My my, my, my mother uh, saw something on social media one day and she was she was on the phone. She's like, what the hell is this? Who is this? Who this? <laughs> Who this? <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> My mom, my mom's, none of my mom's haven't run up on y'all, so it's it's all good. But seriously, so I understand that. But at the same time, the difference between two books, for the most part, I'm not going to say that Donna's book is so perfect. And again, there's, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into it. I'm writing. I'm writing. But um, but there was just a difference between the veracity and the ability to go back to points because you know it's social media. There's news. There's documents. We we can go back to point to and go back to material. We can even go back to quotes people gave, right? Um, about things to 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 challenge, you know, the, the narrative that spun after the fact. So I thought that was really interesting. But Donna has been on her her circuit. Um and I have my own request in. Uh so so hopefully I we will be able to get a time scheduled. I did get an initial response trying to get uh, uh that pinned down. Um but what's really interesting is like some of the sound bites and tidbits and and I just want to say of course I don't know that anyone connected to her would actually watch my show, but um, hold your ground. Like, there's no need to walk it back. Like, if Dolores then came out, so for those who aren't aware, you probably are aware by now, Dolores is like her inner alter person. She's like, you know, there's this person inside of me that's like, if you push me too hard, you won't get it. And Dolores will come out. And Dolores comes out quite a bit in the book during her time as the interim chair. But I was wondering if Dolores came out today in this moment. Um, apparently, when Donna Brazil was on Morning Joe earlier today, the Clinton campaign was a cult. <laughs> like, yo, like, and reading some of the book, and, and I posted some screenshots, other folks have too. Like, it's, it's, it's astonishing, right? Um, when you think about what happened, what happened, <laughs> when you think about what happened, when you think about like what, 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 what was going on. So I appreciate Donna's book for what it was, you know, her recounting and her experience. There are tons of questions and quite honestly, we will never know what the absolute truth is because we weren't in the rooms, right? To be on the fly, to be, to really be a fly on the wall, some of the spaces, I mean, you know, the kids in Brooklyn are, aren't knocking boots, so they clearly ain't 
doing good as a campaign. Like the fact that that's somebody out there is old school litmus test for campaigns is so wild. Um, but I really do think that Madonna's book, her 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 recounting of events uh, to the extent that they're corroborated that can be corroborated is a really interesting indictment of the Democratic Party of the machine that has operated a hell of stranglehold on our communities, on our politics for the past 25 years. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I really think it's interesting as, as, as we, as we dig in with this stuff, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested in talking with Del Donna. I almost messed up again. Um, just, just, just cause I do have questions and you guys know me. I ask good questions. I ask fair and balanced questions. I don't do the gotcha questions, but in reading the book, I do have questions. And my, 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 my question though, for folks who are angry about this book, right? Because it was okay when Hillary wrote her book, dredging up stuff. And again, it's extremely revisionist, right? And what happened. Um, you know, Bernie wrote a book in, I mean, Bernie wrote a book, right? Like it's, it's, it's just a different way people handle loss and what they go through. And as we see now, you know, people saying like, well, Bernie's upset because this is not about him and Hillary did this. I, I, I mean, I know she did fund some of the operating, some of the different organizations that have been doing stuff, you know, through, was it own together? I mean, onward together. Um, but uh, besides that, you know, I don't really understand giving her credit for the organizational work, the grassroots work, the work of folks, you know, training and engaging. I mean, th this is more of that hubris and haughtiness that has led to the huge decline. I hope, you know, what happened in Virginia is a sign of an upswing. You know, Georgia actually picked up some seats too um, in, in, in some races. And uh, to quote Stacey Hopkins, when, when you actually go and try and run for something, because there are a lot of seats that had been left, you know, people didn't run. A lot of people was running unopposed. Um, actually, the Georgia, in the Georgia, the first congressional district here in Georgia, which Lisa Ring is running for that seat uh, coming up. Um, actually, in 2016, the, the Republican, the current seat holder, ran unopposed. There was no Democratic candidate to run against him. That needs to change. There wasn't a third party candidate to run against him. That needs to change. We have to figure out, we need to look at the map. We need to be figuring, we need to learn how to cut territory. I mean, there's so much that we need to bring to the table, but there is a wealth of knowledge and resources out there. And there's so many amazing people who understand how to think critically. Right. If we're talking about running, whether you're talking about independent third party candidates, if you're talking about running progressive candidates as Dems, only to use the Dem, you know, letter to get the ballot access, but you're not expecting any type of help, money, support, anything from the party. Like, seriously, why would you want to be beholden to them? We need to understand how to work harder, how to work smarter. We need to understand how to do these things that actually get the win. It is not enough to do pub crawls and have, you know, fancy rallies like that's not how we turn out the vote. Yes, it is insurmountable in some areas. And yes, the rich and powerful are rich and they're powerful. And they have access to money and means and opportunity that we don't. But we have our truth and we have our people. And that is what we need to really work solidly to build up and look forward. I, I, I put forth to folks, we have a year for 2018. We have less than that for primary races. We need to be thinking strategically. We need to be putting some time and hours into looking at, you know, where to put our support and do it. 
Do we write letters to the editor and support candidates? Can we can we can we donate some money so folks can like print off and Xerox some flyers to hand out to get information in? Can you can you donate and get some stuff printed up for somebody from like Vistaprint or a local printer that's union led, right? Like, like what is, how can we help leverage opportunity for those people where we are? Or if there isn't necessarily a candidate that's viable where you are, viable in the sense that they're not necessarily representative of your personal interests, then support the candidates, you know, that you are aware of wherever they are um, to the best extent that you can. Uh, because we do have a long haul. And I really do think that if we, if we are a collective and if we're the strategic and we focus on some races, you know, coming up in the 2018 cycle, we will have between what we saw coming out of 2016 to 2018, 2018 wins. We'll have a really good roadmap for that 2020 and beyond. Because whatever alternative we build to existing, working outside of the Democratic Party establishment structure that exists, it's going to take us time. It's going to take tweaking. And it's going to take real honest assessments of what we do well and what we can improve upon. This has been another edition of The Way with Noah. Um, I look forward to talking to you guys soon. I hope I should actually have a Californian special coming up soon. Um, Californians for Progress are planning a uh, Me Too march. And I think I'm going to be talking with some of the organizers soon. So I'll let you guys know when that's happening. Also, just dropped a new episode right before I came on. Um, you know, past two weeks had takeoff for different reasons, different things going on. I had a deadline. If you guys saw, I had a little piece in the, the nation um, a week ago. Uh, so I had to actually get that piece finished. Um, and then last week, my daughter had a deadline. She was applying to this study abroad program. So we had to, you know, burn the midnight oil, getting her everything, you know, nice and neat and well packaged and submitted off. But I did get a chance to record an interview last week with Adam Johnson. Adam is written, Adam uh, writes with Fair Media, I believe, right now. Uh, I think Adam's also been in LA Times and Alternate. Um, but Adam and I talked about the, 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 the social media hearings that were taking place last week and also about the notion of like the focus on transparency and making sure Facebook and so and Google and Alphabet and Twitter, and et cetera, are cooperating with the federal government and, 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 and you know, looking at clamping down on communications. There's also the big push, like, once again, in terms of net neutrality coming up, I think, November 22nd is the, 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 the supposed deadline. There's a lot going on. But check out my conversation with Adam. It is up on Spreaker and uh, Google Play. And it is up on YouTube on my YouTube. It should be up on uh, iTunes and iHeartRadio by tomorrow. Um, if you guys have not already liked and subscribed, hit me up wherever. You know, rate the show, leave a comment. And and stop, stop commenting about the sound. Y'all know I'm working on the sound, but your girl is balling on the budget, okay? I'm trying my best to run the operation as best I can. But if you like what you get from me, if you appreciate the content, the time and energy I, I put into curating information and positions and policy and analysis, please consider becoming a patron of The Way. Um, you can hit me up at patreon.com slash The Way with Fanoa, a dollar to five. You know, whatever you can spare goes a very long way. Um, hopefully some at some point I'll actually have my merchandise store up too. But appreciate you guys so much. If you ever have any questions or comments, hit me up the way with Fanoa at gmail.com. Um, you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Um, and that's the show for tonight. 
I, I really appreciate you. I have a partially sick uh, uh, eighth grader uh, lurking in the background, so I need to go kind of tend to him. But definitely check out the new episode with Adam. Like I said, it'll be on iTunes tomorrow morning. It usually takes about 12 hours from when I post it uh, to, to, to populate there. Um, it's also, I'm on iHeartRadio. Um, and again, like, subscribe, rate, review. Appreciate you guys so much. Peace.